Well, this morning we are continuing in Psalm 23. Pam, you are right, verse 5 this morning. But each week I've read from a different translation just to try to help us kind of surround the text, if you will, and not read from the same one every time. And this morning uh, I want to actually read from uh, the Sally Lloyd-Jones Storybook Bible. Uh, she's got a great paraphrase. of This is one of our family's uh, favorite kids' Bibles. Uh, it was one we actually gave away at our Christmas Eve service, and it's one actually that we give to when we dedicate children here. So if, you know, you don't have one yet and have a young child, I mean, there's a one way to, to get a hold of it. But let me, let me read for it. Read, read from it, excuse me. God is my shepherd, and I am his little lamb. He feeds me, he guides me, he looks after me. I have everything I need. Inside my heart is very quiet, as quiet as lying still in soft green grass in a meadow by a little stream. And even when I walk through the dark, scary, lonely places, I won't be afraid because my shepherd knows where I am. He's here with me, he keeps me safe, he rescues me, he makes me strong and brave. He's getting wonderful things ready for me, especially for me, everything I ever dreamed of. He fills my heart with happiness, and I can't hold it all inside. And wherever I go, I know God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love will go to. I love that little poem. In the story within the Bible, that poem is a part of a larger story about King David, uh, and she talks about how uh, King David was a shepherd, but when God looked at, at David, he also saw a king. It's on page 135, if you happen to have a Bible at home. And she writes this, God gave David that song to sing to his people so that they could know that he loved them and would always look after them like a shepherd loves his sheep. And one day, God was going to do something that would inspire thousands upon thousands of new songs. God was going to show his people once and for all just how much he loved them. See, another shepherd was coming, a greater shepherd, and he would be called the Good Shepherd. And this shepherd was going to lead all of God's lambs back to the place where they had always belonged, close to God's heart. One of the things uh, this book does really well, and you'll notice, maybe you can't notice because it's a little small, but the subtitle is that every story whispers his name. And so it's a great little book to read through with your kids to, to see how the, the, the whole Bible, even though it's a, a library of 66 books written over hundreds of years in multiple languages and in multiple contexts and countries, it all tells the same story. And even though it's written for kids, adults, it's really good for us too to see that, that thread that runs through the grand narrative of the Bible. Well, we are in Psalm 23. Again, if you haven't opened up there yet, I'll invite you to now. In the first, the first half of the psalm, we looked at in those first three weeks, it, it's really uh, captured well, I think, in the paraphrase that I read. It, it's reminding each of us that the creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything we can see into existence, wants to lead us, and guide us, and care for us, and provide for us. But we're like sheep. We're creatures of habit. We, we, we get distracted by shiny objects. We, we stroll off our own way. We get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. We, we, go, we make decisions that go against the instruction and leading of that good shepherd, the one who knows what's best for us and the one who leads us 
to do the right things. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at verse 3 where, where David writes, he leads us in the paths of righteousness, or he leads us on the right paths for his namesake. And we said that that was kind of the gravitational pull, if you will, of all of Psalm 23. It, it holds it together and it brings, it brings everything into right order. And then out of this, he leads us in the right path. So we get verse 4 and verse 5. Last week we looked at verse 4. This morning we'll look at verse 5. And, and these passages read, Even when I go through the darkest valley, I will fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we're on these right paths. We're being led down the right paths. But guess what? Sometimes these paths go through the valley of the shadow of death. God never promises that our life will be easy, ever. If you've heard that, someone speak that from the front, reject it, they're wrong. But God always promises he'll be with us. In verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. David, the, the author of the psalm, has moved us through this this kind of gravitational center that, that the Lord, our shepherd, wants to lead us down these right paths through the suffering and, and the comfort and, the, and God's presence in our suffering. And he's told us that, that in those dark night of the soul moments that will come, our good shepherd will be with us. And we, we carried through that valley of the shadow of death, and now we're back into verse 5, and he, he kind of lifts our heads again and points us to that ultimate reality being the good shepherd's reign and rule over our lives. But he doesn't, doesn't lead us and, and reign as a distant king. No, he's, he's right here in front of us. He sets the table for us right in our presence. Now, much like last week, there's a couple of different ways people have understood this, this you prepare a table verse. On the one hand, remember uh, last week we said that this whole psalm is a, a shepherd and sheep metaphor, and it's a story, and then there's, there's, there's lots of reasons why, why David told that. He was a shepherd. He understood the life of the shepherd. His people would have understood the lives of shepherds. And we said that as you walk through the valley of sh the shadow of death, often that was, that was the shepherd leading his flock from kind of the winter lowlands through the valleys up to the summer highlands where they could graze for the summer. And, and there's there's... The reality is that it could be about that. These, these grazing lands were called uh, mesas, which if you know probably many different languages, you know a mesa in Spanish and others means what? A table. So maybe that's what's going on here. These high grazing lands uh, are the tables. And so the verse might be pointing to the utmost care of the shepherd that is, yes, leading his sheep there, but gets there first and goes around these high grazing, table, grazing tables, these, these uh, meadows, and checks for, for dangers, for whether there, there's rocks or cliffs or, or hills or, or, or valleys. Remember, that if, a, if a sheep gets stuck in a little hole with its feet up, it, it doesn't go well for that sheep. Uh, it, it could be the, the shepherd going around and, and checking for those, those poisonous plants that might be there that could kill his flock. It's the shepherd going out and driving out any, present, any predators that might be there. It, it could very well be all about this. Ancient shepherds would also use this mixture of oil and sulfur and spices to kind of uh, cover their sheep and, and protect their sheep from insects and to help heal any skin disease they might have. So yes, we could be sticking with this sheep and shepherd metaphor, and I think it's okay to understand this this way. But at the same time, 
we do also seem to be in the middle of a, a, a move, of a shift. It's a short, short psalm, but there's, there seems to be a big move from, from uh, the shepherd's fields and into verse 6. We're in the presence of the Lord and we dwell in his house forever. In our, uh, our association of churches, we had our national conference in Banff here just a couple of weeks ago, and the, the speaker that came uh, was a, I don't know if you can ever be an expert on the Psalms, but he was an expert on the Psalms. He teaches in seminary, he does all these things, and one of the things he, he, he drove into us when he was talking about the Psalm, he just said emphatically, don't leave Jesus out in a tent in the field. It's not just that. He's, he's not just that good shepherd there, so there is some development happening here. Remember when we started, if you were with us for the week one, we said the psalm opens, the Lord is my shepherd. And I said it's entirely appropriate for us to read that as the Lord is my shepherd king. Right? As, as these, these songs are, are written here and collected here, uh, Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are all king psalms as well. And so there is some development here. There's kingly language. And so what we also read, and what I think might be, I don't want to say a better understanding, but a good understanding is that we're invited into the king's home for a feast. And when David's talking about feasting here in this passage, remember, he was Jewish, he would have been speaking originally to a Jewish audience. What those original hearers would have heard when he talked about a feast being prepared would have been their national feasts would have been these, these, these great religious feasts. Or even their, their wedding feasts. I know uh, many of us have probably been to a wedding and gone to a reception after, and it's a pretty good feast. But in these days, these feasts would, would draw the entire community together, and it wouldn't just be one evening or maybe even late into the night. It would be days and days, maybe a week or longer, of just gathering together and celebrating and, and eating and drinking the best food and the best drink. Uh, and it's just a massive, long celebration, and that's what we're invited to. David's lifting our eyes up in this verse, in verse 5, to show us just how great God is. He told us in verse 3 that he's the one that, that re restores my soul, renews my life. He's leading us. He reminded us in verse 4 of God's comfort and care in the dark times, in the hard times, and now he's pointing us to just how well, how great God provides for us. And again, look at who's doing the work in this verse. It says, you prepare a table for me. I don't do anything. God doesn't say, if you want to come over, set the table, there's the table, there's the table, the, 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 the stove's on, uh, grab something from the fridge, throw it in the microwave, warm it up, you're welcome. No, you prepare a table for me. You anoint me with oil. He's reminding us that, that, that the Lord, our shepherd king, is an initiating God. He's not one that we just have to kind of trick or coerce into paying attention to us, but this is a God who comes to us and initiates. God's the one that moves towards us as we come out of the valley of the shadow of death. And, and it's not just with a, a, a loaf of bread or some, some snacks to get us through the next part of our journey, but no, he prepares a feast for us. And it's not a, not a private feast either, is it? 
This is what I think one of the things we have to get out of this verse, and it was actually really meaningful for me as I prepared this week as well. This is all, again, rooted in verse 3. God's leading us on the right path. He's guiding us along the right way. He's, he's, he's showing us his character. He's doing this for his namesake. And I love how one writer says, he is not embarrassed that you are his. God's not embarrassed to call you one of his sheep. I don't know who else needs to hear that this morning, but I certainly do. Despite your sin and struggle, despite your difficulties, despite the time coming through the valley of the shadow of death, despite whatever happened in the dark night of the soul, God's not throwing a party for you, kind of tucked away in a corner, hoping that nobody sees that he cares about you. No, it's right in the middle. God treasures you. He loves you. He delights you. What does it say? It says that God has prepared a a lavish feast for you in the presence of everyone who's against you. To anyone who looks at you and says, you're not enough. To anyone who, who says, you need to be better. You need to grow up. You sinned too big. To anyone who says, uh, who has rejected you, ignored you, slandered you, gossiped about you, hurt you, make you feel small, curses you, defiles you, abandon you, God says, this one's mine. Here's the feast. And for anyone watching this feast that God has set up, there's no mistaking what God's saying here. All of those who would be looking at this table that God's prepared in verse 5, there's no doubt in this scene that God loves you and delights you, that he wants you there, that he cares for you, that he's good, that he's faithful, that he's protecting you. And just in case there is any doubt because of this feast that you're sitting at the kind of the head of the table, just in case there's any doubt, God seals it with the promise, with an explanation that's, that's in the next phrase. He says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, in those days, when people came out of a season of mourning, often they, they demonstrated their mourning by wearing sackcloth and ashes. They, you could tell by the way somebody looked, the way they dressed, that they were mourning. But then when they came out, they tried to clean themselves up, and they might anoint themselves with oil to try to go through that cleaning process. But when someone else anointed you, like it says here, right? You anoint me with oil. That was to show that the one who is being anointed is the guest of honor. That that the one being anointed is the prized relationship. One writer says it's a mark of friendship, acceptance, and celebration, a pleasing provision of hospitality for an honored guest. Did you catch that? Do we need to just sit there and think about that for a little while? I do. I've had all week, and I still need to sit and think about it. We really need to try and get our minds around this because this is something that that can be really confronting. It might even rattle us a little bit. Again, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I think that some of us all too often find ourselves in a place where we think that God's just sort of tolerating us. Maybe we feel like God must be exhausted with us because I keep coming back with the same prayer. I keep coming back with the same problems. Maybe he's just tired of our constant wandering. You maybe remember that, that sheep video from a couple weeks ago where the shepherd pulls the sheep out of the, out of the, the crevice and it hops about four times right back into the crevice. And that's me. God, forgive me for this thing. And two minutes later, I'm back doing the same thing. So maybe he's just exhausted and just tired of me. And maybe, maybe we're just stuck in this place that, that he's just sick of us. 
And maybe we believe that someday he'll be crazy about us, but right now he's probably just more perpetually annoyed and disappointed. You don't have to raise your hand, but is anyone else there with me? I won't look. You don't have to. But what's happening here in verse 5 is that you've showed up to the shepherd and God has run towards you. He's prepared a feast for you and he's anointing you with oil to show everybody, enemies, everybody else around that you're loved by him and that he loves you so much. And then in the last bit of the verse, it says, my cup overflows. So God has come and he's put a cup or or a chalice in your hand and he starts to pour into your cup for you uh, out of his infinite goodness and fullness, every good thing until that cup overflows and you just might be holding the cup in your hands underneath and you just cannot keep it all in. That's the goodness and generosity of our God. This is that that picture of God's love and pursuit and rejoicing and delighting and celebrating and his gladness towards those who are in his flock. And again, you can search, I think you can search this whole text and others too, but we're in Psalm 23, so search Psalm 23 and find any space that says, well, I'm worthy of this because of anything. There's no work done by the sheep anywhere in here. The Lord's the shepherd. The Lord's the one leading He does this. He does this. Even when I'm going through this place, he's still with me. He comforts me. He leads me. He provides. It's all about him. It's not about us. We don't have to earn this love. God gives it freely. Love came down and rescued me. We sung that, right? And so it's just so powerful that we have this picture here in the song, right after the part where it says that you and I are going to have to go through the hard seasons, through the valley of the shadow of death, right after that, when we, when we might find ourselves feeling like God has abandoned us because stuff is hard, we come to the sense where God says, no, 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 no. I was with you there. I prepared this feast for you here. And listen, we might think that all of this is just going to happen once we get to heaven and we die. But the reality is, because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his righteousness and goodness, all this is actually offered to us, and his substitutionary death, this is all happening now for us. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in right now, this is true. The creator God of the universe loves you and delights in you and wants to bless you and wants to give graciously to you out of all of his fullness and goodness and invite you and welcome you into his flock, into his household of faith. One of the other places maybe in the Bible we see this most clearly and beautifully is in the New Testament in Luke 15. We've talked about in past weeks how we, we, we've tied Jesus and John 10 where he says, I'm the good shepherd, and, and there's lots of shepherd motif there where Jesus steps into the song. But in Luke 15... He tells this parable, the story of the prodigal son. You might be familiar with it. It's about a a son who completely rejects the father. Basically says to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead, so give me the inheritance that's coming to me when you eventually die. And the son runs off with all the good gifts that the father's given him, and he blows it all. And in that passage of Scripture, in the, in the parable, it, we, it, we're told that he, he blows all that inheritance on, on partying and relationships and, and drinking and food and all the things. And then when the son is completely helpless, so he's, he's working with and, and, and dealing with pigs, and, and he's so hungry, he just he wants to eat the pig food. 
When he's completely helpless, he decides to go back to his father's house, not to apologize, but to beg for work. And he comes up with this plan, the son does. He says, well, maybe if I go to my dad, and I, I know the people that work on my dad's farm, if, if they're be- better off than me, so maybe if I just go back and say, Dad, just make me a slave, so at least I can eat. But throughout the whole season, we have this picture of the father waiting and hoping and longing for the son's return. We have this picture of him standing at the gate, or standing at the door of the house, just scanning the horizon, waiting for his beloved son to come home. And when he sees the prodigal returning, he runs to him. He embraces him, throws his arm around him, puts a ring on his finger, symbolizing the family, like the family ring back on his finger. He gives him the best robe, and he, he, he kills the, the fatted calf to prepare a feast. Later in, in Luke 15, we also read about the older brother who could hear the party that was being thrown out in the field. Right? The text says he heard the music and the dancing. And so this older bro- brother asked the servant to come and said, hey, hey, what's going on back at the house? I hear this noise, I hear the singing, hear this dancing, hear this celebrating. See, when the prodigal comes home, when, when, when you or I come home to Jesus, when we've finally surrendered to the comfort and guidance of the good shepherd, there's a kind of a party that breaks out, which according to Luke 15, the music and dancing can be heard out in the fields. I don't know how to totally picture this myself, except for last weekend, Folk Fest was in town, and at certain times of the, of the evenings, you could hear the music all over the valley, right? Maybe it's like that. You're up at the Nordic Center, and you're like, what's, what's going on down there? No, no, somebody's just come back home. Forget the bands. I don't know any of the bands, but somebody's come home to Jesus and we're having a party. And I know for some of us that were raised in some church church traditions that the idea of this much dancing that people heard in the field might make us a little bit nervous, but it's in the Bible. It's going to be okay, I promise. But what the text is trying to tell us is that there's such a huge party celebrating everyone that comes home to Jesus you can hear it from miles around. So let me ask you, are you in a place where you can really believe that Jesus is the good shepherd and that by his perfect life, his substitutionary death on the cross, that his, his righteousness, his perfect life and, and all that was that can be given to you for the name and sake of God? And that can move God's heart towards you in the same way that he would lead you through the dark valleys, that he'd prepare a feast before you. Is that possible? Are you there? I hope so. Because I think if, if we don't get these things, if we don't understand that the, the way to find this belonging, this fullness, this life is through the work of Jesus and, and letting him be our shepherd and our, our, our lead and our guide and all these things, then we'll spend all of our days trying to earn this kind of love, trying to find it somewhere else, to try to earn acceptance and try to work really hard just to be a good person. And frankly, it would be a tragedy to go through life working that hard, exhausting yourself to try to find something that God is freely saying, here, come, take, eat. It's for you. I'm going to pray, and then we'll move to the communion table. The communion table is a reminder of the feast that is to come because of what Jesus did. Uh, so again, I'll pray and I'll open it. And as, as you kind of reflect on 
the passage this morning on Psalm 23, maybe placing yourself in the, the prodigal son um, parable or daughter. Uh, when you're ready, you can come and just take and eat, and I'll invite the band to just come play maybe quietly behind as well. Let me pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you again for your word. Thank you that we have such great access to the Bible. Thank you for this psalm. I, I pray that uh, even though I suspect many of us have heard it before, that, that our familiarity with the words wouldn't just kind of have our ears glaze over as we hear them again. I pray that this morning you would stir in our hearts, that you would remind us, Jesus, that, um, that you are the good shepherd, that you laid down your life for us, that you are with us, that you walk through the hard time with us and that you prepare this feast for us. You, you, have, uh, you want to lavish on us every good gift. And for those of us who have been told or have heard the lie and believed that we're not enough, we're not good enough, we're unlovable, we've, we've run too far, we're too far from you for you to love us, I pray that you just remove those lies from our hearts, from our ears, and that you would remind us through verse 5 that we are loved. That we are your honored guest at the feast, not some annoyance, not some bother. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.